Our New Testament lesson today will come from 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're reading 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 22. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 22. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, resurrection of the dead also comes through a human being. As, in, as all die in Adam, so will all be made alive in Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> you know, there are certain phrases you hear that you can't hear this phrase and not picture an image or picture a scene. You hear this phrase and your mind automatically jumps to an image or a scene or something like that. Um, a lot of these uh, images, uh, phrases are from the movies. So, for instance, well, here's your trivia the line is not, Luke, I am your father. The line is, I am your father. That's just your Star Wars trivia. Just, just want you to walk away knowing that one today. But, you know, I am your father. Luke, I am your father. What do you see? You see Vader and Luke Skywalker doing the lightsabers in, in, in fighting. That, that is, that is a, you can't not see that image. How about this one? Go ahead, punk. You see Clint Eastwood, don't you, if you're of a certain age? You see him, you see him, the gun cocked, ready, ready to be the arm of enforcement of the law. You can't not see the image if you know it. I'll be back. You see Arnold, don't you? You can't, yeah, it's, just, it's just those phrases, that imagery is associated with those phrases. And it's not just pop culture. Ask not what you can do, what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. You see Kennedy, don't you? You, 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 you just see it. We just had Martin Luther King Day not long ago. I have a dream. You can see him at, at, the, cap, at, at, you know, at the mall speaking with the crowds around him. Mr. Gorbachev. You can see Reagan there, can't you? I mean, I, we can't say these phrases or hear these phrases and not attach them to certain images or certain moments or certain videos or certain scenes. It's just they're too connected that we just we see them automatically. This isn't just pop culture or history, but it's also biblical. The Lord is my shepherd. You know it, don't you? You've looked for that passage in hard days, haven't you? You've returned to that one over and over and over again. It's more than just a collection of words, isn't it? But it hits at something in our soul. For God so loved the world. That's right. John three sixteen. It's not just a guy with crazy hair holding up a sign at a football game. But it's a passage that reveals to us God's great and God's deep love. And the lengths that God would go to to save his people, it's marked deeply upon our soul. Well, today we're going to talk about a phrase that I think is much the same 
and a phrase that probably does more than anything to explain who we are as humans and who God is in the midst of all this. In the beginning. In the beginning. Now, that phrase also shows that God is a baseball fan because in the big inning. saying, you know, in the beginning. That's the first words of the Bible. And I don't know that there's any other passage of Scripture that explain to us who we are as humans and who God is than Genesis 1, 2, 3. And we saw a distilled version of Genesis 1 through 3 today in our two Scripture readings. In Genesis, in our first Old Testament lesson, Genesis 1, the image of God. 1 Corinthians, the effect of sin upon humans. And Genesis 1 through 3 really unpacks these things for us so that we understand them better. We're in a series right now called This I Believe, where we're unpacking or talking about what are these key beliefs, key doctrines, key things we hold to that define who we are as Christians, define what we believe as a church, and help us understand God and understand ourselves. Last week, we talked about one of my favorite passages, John 17, 3. What is eternal life but to know God in Jesus Christ whom he has sent? Eternal life, the life that God gives us is found firmly ground in knowing God through Jesus Christ. Meeting Jesus, knowing Jesus, and then knowing Jesus for the rest of our life. That is eternal life. Well, the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some of these core doctrines and core beliefs that we hold to. And these things are so deeply rooted in the truth of Scripture. These beliefs find their home, find their origin, find their start in the truth of God's revealed and authoritative word, the word of God, Holy Scripture. This I believe. I always think of what, what I shared you, Dr. Nick said. Let's talk about what we believe, not about what we feel. Let's talk about what we believe. Because it's our beliefs that truly define and shape how we live our life together. But we're looking today at Genesis 1 through 3, but really as crystallized in the passages that we read from Genesis 1 and then from, from uh, 1 Corinthians. We see in Genesis 1 our creation and then the fall. You know, it's very easy. It's very easy. Kate did a great job today talking about sin. It's very easy for us to think that the story of humanity, it's very easy for us to think that the story of, of our life together begins in sin. We can get so fixated and fascinated upon sin that we forget that the Bible, y'all, the Bible does not start in Genesis 3. The Bible starts in Genesis 1. And before humanity fell, before the sins, as Paul says, of, the, of Adam caused death to all of us, we see before there was a fall, there was a creation. And that God created everything. And God made all things good. Now then sin entered in and sin corrupted. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But let's be very careful that when we start with, with our reflection upon Scripture, when we start with our reflection upon ourselves, when we start with our reflection upon God, let's not start in Genesis 3. Let's go back to Genesis 1 and see what God did. And understand how God created, and then we can understand the effect of the fall upon what God did. So what happened? Well, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are interesting. We see in Genesis 1 and 2, we see in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, two different perspectives 
on the creation story in the Bible. I, I, that's one thing I love about the Bible, is the Bible gives us different perspectives, sometimes on the same story. You know this from the Gospels. When we look at the Gospels, we see each of the four Gospels gives us a slightly different perspective on who Jesus was. So in Matthew's Gospel, it was a very Jewish Gospel. And in Matthew, we see Joseph's view of Christmas. We see through Matthew what Joseph saw. We go to Luke. Luke, it's a very Gentile gospel. We see Mary's perspective on Christmas. Mark ain't got time for any of that. Mark didn't even give you Christmas. Mark goes right to the baptism. He's moving. And then John's story is cosmic. Each one of the gospel writers tells you Jesus' story from a little bit different perspective. Gentile, Jewish, Roman, cosmic. We see this in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. We see the creation account from two slightly different perspectives. In Genesis 1, we see this. We see a God that is almighty and all-powerful and cosmic in nature. We see a God in Genesis 1 who speaks light into existence. We see a God in Genesis 1 who creates, creates ex nihilo, a God who creates something out of nothing. A God who literally speaks life into existence. A God that is cosmic and grand and glorious and powerful and sovereign and almighty and omnipotent. And we see God in Genesis 1 in all of his power, all of his divine glory. We see God in the height and the strength of his power and ability. And he is an awesome God. A God our human minds can't conceive. A God our human minds can't imagine. A God who with Moses, where Scripture says that Moses could only see the backside of God's glory because God was so great. That's what we see in Genesis 1. We see God's creative power and strength and might. And we see the vastness and the greatness and the sovereignty of this divine creative God. We see God in his power. In Genesis 1. And then in Genesis 2, you see God doing this. Oh, look at little old Adam, bless his heart. He's going to be lonely. Bless him. It's not good for a man to be alone. There's no help or found for him. So bless his heart. He's going to be lonely. I'm going to put him to sleep. Take out a rib. Make Eve for him. Because it's not good for him to be alone. Bless his little heart. In Genesis 2, we see a God who's intimate. And a God who's personal. We see a God who knows when we're lonely. We see a God who knows when we're scared. We see a God who knows when we're alone. We don't know what to do. We see a God who knows the hairs upon our head and knows our deepest worries and our deepest fears. We see a deeply intimate, personal God who loves us so very much. Which is it? Which is it? Is God vast? And omnipotent and all-powerful? 
Is God intimate and personal? Yes. Yes. He's both. He's a creative, powerful God who literally speaks life into existence. And he is a God so personal to us that he cares when we're lonely and when we're afraid. Genesis 1 and 2 shows us who God is. It shows us the divine character of God and shows us exactly who God is. So Genesis 1 through 2 tells us who God is. But then Genesis 1 through 3 also kind of tells us who we are. We read initially in Genesis 1, the image of God. Scripture says, God said, let us make them in our image. And so we think image. We think a nose, two eyes, two ears. We think physical characteristics. But we've always interpreted the concept of the image of God, not in terms of physical characteristics, but in terms of character. So to be made in the image of God is not so much about physical imagery per se, but we are made in the character or in the nature of who God is. That means that we, much like God, that we have a moral image. We know right from wrong. So Kate could talk to our kids who are very young about what sin is because we just kind of know, don't we? You don't have to be a theologian to understand breaking lines wrong, right? We just know that. Every two-year-old knows the concept of fair and unfair. There is deep within us an inborn understanding of fair and unfair, right and wrong. That's that moral image of God. We have what's called a governmental image of God. In other words, structure. God's a creative God who builds structure. Humans across all civilizations have structure. We have what's called the spiritual image of God. In other words, we desire spirituality and relationships. We are made in God's image, y'all. That's what it means to be made in God's image, all of us. Scripture says, let us make them in our image. Every human is made in the image of God. As C.S. Lewis says, you will never look into the eyes of another person for whom Christ did not die. That means the folks you, you like are made in the image of God. And also the folks you don't like. That means the people we love, we admire, and that means that jerk who cut you off in traffic Friday are all made in the image of God. You will never encounter another human made in the, who is not made in the image of God. Everybody. Everybody. Whether they look like us, think like us, act like us, doesn't matter. They're made in God's image. The Bible says we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. Because remember, before the fall of Genesis 3, we got to go back to Genesis 1. We see the image of God upon everyone. So, yes, everyone is of divine worth. But then we keep reading. You know what we see in Genesis 3? We see the effect of the fall. We see the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve, where God pronounces curses. He says, Eve is cursed, Adam is cursed, and the earth itself is cursed because of their sin. And we see in Genesis 
3, the effect of the fall, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, as through Adam, death entered the world. The Bible says in Romans that the wages of sin is death. Through the sin of Adam and Eve, death entered the world. And because of that, we all die. Sin equals death. Jesus says in John 10.10, the thief comes to rob, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Sin's only job is to kill us and to destroy us. Sin is not a play toy. Sin's not a play pretty. Sin is a destructive thing that will destroy us. The wages of sin is death. And we're all broken, y'all. We're all the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. Me, you, all of us. What does Genesis 1 through 3 teach us? That you are worth more to God than you can ever imagine. No matter what you do, no matter where you've been, no matter what you're doing, no matter what's going on, you are of more worth to our amazing God than your mind can fathom because you are made in his image. And it also tells us this. We all need a savior. We all need Jesus. We're all made in his image and we all need Jesus. That's what Genesis 1 through 3 teaches us. That's what in the beginning tells us. There was beauty before the fall. There was beauty before the bad. We are made in that image of God. So we serve a God who is powerful and strong and almighty and sovereign, but also intimate and personal and caring. We are made in the image of God, and we are loved more than we can imagine. We are also broken, and we each here today need a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's who we are, y'all. That's creation, that's God, and that's us. We're loved, and we need Jesus. That's who we are in the beginning. Back when I was a kid, and I'd go out with my friends on a Friday night or Saturday night. We'd go cruise the boulevard in my 1996 Buick Century, just the height of luxury. You know, we'd go cruise around Brookhaven and Bogachet. And, you know, every teenager who goes to, especially when they cruise around the boulevard or Delaware, they're then going right to Bible study, right? That's what happens. You go cruise and then you go to Bible study. That's what I, that's what I did as a teenager. I don't know what y'all did. That's what I did. My mother knew better than that, obviously. So my, my mom would always tell me when I left the house, remember who you are? Remember where you come from? That was always her closing advice to me when I left the house. Remember who you are? Remember where you come from? I think that was her way of saying, if you find trouble, don't come calling me. Remember who you are? Remember where you come from. Church, remember who you are.
Remember who God is. He is vast and great and all-powerful and do more than our mind can ever imagine. And he cares when you're lonely or when you're stressed or when you're afraid. You are loved more than your human mind can fathom. And you and I need Jesus because of our sins. In the beginning, may we remember who we are, may we remember whose we are, and may we remember who it is who died for each of us. Let's pray.